So it was a good start. Uh, <clears throat> when I talked with Jeremiah about him being out, and we talked about me um, spending a few minutes this morning sharing some thoughts on the general topic of giving, um, for me it's more like for us to think of it a bit broader and maybe more instead of giving so much as talking about how we relate or what, how, how we relate to our things or our relationship with our money. In <clears throat> just a minute we're going to look at um, a passage in Matthew where Jesus engaged this topic directly. Uh, but in thinking about, about bringing this this morning, you know, it occurred to me that I've been in a lot of churches. This may be, the Skillman may be the place that I've been where this message may be needed less than anywhere else. But the, the next thought was, however, I need it. And, and this is part of, and, and maybe all preachers, when they preach, part of what motivates are the things that they struggle with the most. I know the few times that I have shared like this or uh, taught without being directed as to what to teach, I always gravitate to the things that I struggle with the most or things that I have had <coughs> vivid or compelling experiences with from which I learned something. So that's part of what is um, driving my thoughts today is that this particular topic has never come easy for me. And not because I didn't have great examples. I had parents who were faithful, authentic givers, never made a lot of money, and then they set this spectacular example for me. And somehow it just didn't take. Um, it has always, it has always been something that I've struggled And I used to think, you know, this is going to be easier when I have more money, or when I have more. Uh, and it would be really easy if I ever have a lot. And not that I've had a lot, but I've had extremes, and I don't know if it's a confession or a testimony, but it was not any easier. The more I had, the harder it was for me to really internalize what I think the scriptures teach about our relationship with our stuff, in particular our relationship with our money. <coughs> so part of what I'd like to do today is if I can just give you a few ideas or a few thoughts that maybe are a perspective shift. It just kind of changes the way you look at or think about or relate to your money and your things. And kind of the natural progression of that is it will give, at least for me, it will, it's given me a better understanding of what the Bible teaches about giving in the New Testament. So let's look at the core passage that, that I want us to look at today with a very familiar story. <clears throat> this is an exchange of Jesus and a young man who had a lot of stuff, who had a lot of possessions, who had a lot of things, who had a lot of money. And this story is a, is a story. It's not a parable. It's something that happens. It's an exchange that happened between Jesus and this, and this young man. So in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 24, let's look at that. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, 
Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have large treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for this time to come together to look at your word, um, see what you have given us to study and to understand. Um, give us an openness, uh, a teachable spirit this morning so that um, for each of us, whatever word is here for us, that we would uh, grasp it and internalize it and um, make it part of who we are and, and what we do. We thank you for this teaching, and we ask your blessings on it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Speaking of changing perspectives, you know, I, I read a lot. Unfortunately, it's kind of like my diet, mostly junk food, empty calorie type reading. Um, <laughs> the vast majority of it is not particularly uplifting. And the various members of my family have kind of noticed that and kind of taken it upon themselves that they need to kind of change my perspective on that and that I need to be reading some different things. Um, my youngest son, Matthew, some of you know him, he doesn't do it much anymore, but he used to send me these um, excerpts from these classic great works of literature. Moby Dick was one of his favorites. And I'd get this email and there would just be a chapter from Moby Dick that he had found profound that he thought I needed to see. So he's kind of trying to work me away from that to something more meaningful. My, my oldest son, Elias, lives in China. He's kind of in the business news um, area. And he thinks I am not sufficiently engaged in what's going on in the world. He's kind of an international guy, and he thinks I'm a little bit disconnected. So he sends me these op-ed pieces, or these New York Times editorials, or some link to some webcast with something very pertinent that he thinks I need to engage and get a little more connected. Um, my daughter, Abby, she, not so much, not so much anymore, but her, her history was she would send me Money Magazine. And I never understood that until I kind of figured it out that her biggest fear is that we have not saved enough money for retirement and we're going to have to live with them. So she's willing to give me investment advice. And my wife, Kathy, same thing. She, you know, we're, we read at night, I'm reading this, something, 
and she's constantly slipping these articles to me on diet and exercise. <laughs> Which I guess doesn't require a lot of explanation as to how she's trying to shift my perspective. But the point of that is that, is that they, they think I am not properly focused on, on what I am uh, spending my time learning and studying. <clears throat> in looking at this passage and talking about the idea of giving and money, um, you know, there's always a question of why is it important? Why do we just spend time on that? Um, and I don't know statistics, but if, if you read the New Testament, Jesus spent a, an inordinate, disproportionate amount of time. Of the words, the recorded words that we have of Jesus, many of them are on this topic. Um, more on this topic than you would expect on some other topics. Um, that only means that it is necessarily more important or it is just a bigger problem for us. Uh, perhaps the, the passage we just read in Jesus' observation <coughs> suggests that this is a struggle that is kind of inherent for us, this, this material things being the distraction that they become. And so I want to talk about it this morning <coughs> without trying to address everything that's in this passage. Um, I heard a pastor start a sermon saying that it is so much easier to preach topically than expositionally, because if you're preaching topically and you're, going, you're using a passage, you can just skip the hard parts. You can just pull the parts from that that address your topic. So there's much in this passage. I mean, it would be, we could spend in the morning talking about what the meaning of the word good, the way it's used in this passage. It's, there is a real depth there. But what, we, what I want us to look at and, and take from this, and maybe a couple other passages that we're going to look at, is this attitude and an approach that, that it is our tendency when we when we have our money and our things. <coughs> One of the, if you look at this passage and you really look at what Jesus talked through, the, the, the first part is kind of a, it's really a lead up. The, the first part of the conversation that, and, and if you look at the other accounts in Mark and Luke of this story, they, they appear in all three, um, you get a little, maybe a broader picture of this young man. Um, and that the, the impression that you get come away from if you read all the passages is that he was sincere, he was authentic. In one of them, I don't remember it's Mark or Luke, he is running to catch up with or to engage Jesus, which for a person of his stature was um, kind of unheard of. And, and one of the passages said he came to kneel, uh, showing respect and deference. And that the, the, the the way the passages are written, strong suggestion that he really acknowledged Jesus as more than a teacher, more than just a good man, but someone who was unique and who had the answer to the question that he was asking. And so all of this lead up is to this core question, but it's this question that Jesus is asking what's for him uh, in just understanding and knowing what this man's perspective was on his things. You go through all of these commandments, which sound difficult and hard, and he says, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. And then he says, what else? And Jesus says, sell it all. All that you have, and give it to the poor. And then we see his response to that. So all this is leading up to that 
those two things, the question he asked, Jesus' answer, and his response, which was to go away sorrowful. So, in coming back to this idea of changing our perspective and using that kind of, having that kind of as a backdrop, um, we have the very first perspective shift. Let me, let me suggest that. And it's not profound. You're all going to agree with me. But that basic concept that when I'm talking about my stuff, my thing, my money, the first premise is this idea that it is not mine. That at a core level, you know, if I ask all of you kind of a show of hands, probably could ask my six-year-old grandson who made everything. He could probably answer that and say, well, God made everything. But at the core, you know, that's that, the premise of this basic idea that all of my stuff and I just, the pronouns that we use emphasize all of my stuff, is that we are kind of indoctrinated into this thinking that is subconscious that it is mine, um, that I own it, and that we, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as to how that relates to our attitudes about giving, but at that, just the use of the word sometimes, giving, implies that it's mine. And it, it kind of indoctrinates or filters down that I am giving, therefore I am making this sacrifice, I am doing something meaningful. In, in looking at this idea of, what, of, of trying to shift our perspective in terms of what is mine, <coughs> two, two relationships, and we've kind of started talking about them, I think affect this. One is our relationship to our stuff. Just our, you know, kind of hard to think about it that way, but to think about we have a relationship with our money, because uh, we do. Um, we just do. Uh, our society encourages that relationship. Um, the passage we looked at earlier um, kind of suggests a different perspective shift. The Old Testament reading in Proverbs, if I can find it here without dropping everything, <clears throat> but Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, and in particular, um, looking at really 8 and 9, remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest, and, and profane the name of my God. You know, that introduces that idea of what, what this perspective on our stuff does to us in terms of our tendency to deny the Lord. The emphasis on my stuff creates that denial. The, just the word giving, the idea of that reinforces a lot of the secular values that are all around us. I earned it. Um, I worked hard for it. It's mine that my giving is some sacrifice. You know, there, there's so many examples of that. I, it, it struck me the other day, <coughs> thinking about this, um, Success and value in our society, to a great extent, is measured in dollars and cents. I had a conversation with a new client who was thinking about hiring me, and we go through this process, and we're talking about it. And at some point in there, they ask the inevitable question of, what's my hourly rate? And it's this weird contrast, because nobody likes to pay it. Everybody gripes about paying it. But in this instance, there was this clear exchange that my hourly rate was this, and he had in previous experience, paid more. And there was this 
kind of instinctive sense in that exchange. The first question was, well, I wonder if he's just not very good. I wonder if he is really a good lawyer, if his rate is less than this other guy's. And so it just kind of emphasized that that is so intrinsic in our society of how we value things and people and what we buy. It's, it's one of the teachings. If you underprice it, people will think it's undervalued. Um, and that's how we think. And that's how we think. <coughs> you know, the, the part of the, the process here and what we see in Proverbs and we see in other passages is that this this obsession or this connection that we have our money is part of what makes it difficult. And, and this is what is clear in this passage in Matthew. It is an obstacle to our total surrender, is that we have more to lose. The more we have, or the more we're engaged with our things, the more we think we are giving up or that we are at risk. And the other relationship um, in, in this area, the other aspect of the relationship is our relationship to God. We looked at the passage um, earlier in Philippians about um, you know, if I ask you all how many of you trust God, and we'd all say, absolutely. Um, but what that means in this context is really what this, um, in, this, in this Matthew passage, if you ask, well, did that young, rich man trust God when he asked him to sell all that he had? Um, you know, and if you have that trust in God, and you have this, you, you see this, source of contentment not being our things, then we are willing to sell all that we have if we truly trust that God will provide. Um, it's, it's a real kind of rubber meets the road test. It's easy to say that I trust God. It is much harder to do it in that sense where I don't have the ability to provide for myself or I question that or I'm willing to give up the ability to provide for myself and allow God to do that. Not suggesting that we should not work, not provide for our families, not provide, but just that perspective shift or that attitude shift. <coughs> Let me do another um, second kind of attitude shift or a perspective shift about how we look at our things and giving. Um, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to go too far or um, I had to kind of pre-played a few of these ideas with uh, somebody who has better trained than I am to make sure I wasn't too far off the edge here. So I'm sure if I do, I'll be pulled back. But the idea that God doesn't need my money. Um, and I want you to kind of understand what I mean is that um, if you look back at this passage, I'm not sure that in this Matthew passage that the emphasis that Jesus was making was on the poor, and the need that the poor had to be fed or be clothed or otherwise. Not that that's not important, not that that's not a value, not that the scriptures and the Bible and Jesus didn't exemplify and teach that. But in this passage, that wasn't what was important. What was important is that this young man needed to give it. And there's a real difference there uh, between my, okay, God needs me to take care of this. I need to take care of this need. You know, if you, if you really look at that objective, there are a lot of wealthy folks who do good things, who give to needy causes. Some of the very same causes that we give to, the hungry, the poor, the needy. 
this passage, and I think the scriptures teach that we, that God does not need that. If God wanted to provide in a different way, he could. But what the, the perspective shift is that we need to give. In the same way that we need to exercise a number of others, that we need to pray, that we need to see God, that we need to be willing to part with our material things. <clears throat> At least for me, to really get a closer grip on what I think the Bible teaches, the purity of giving, and I, I don't want to overstate that phrase, it's not, it's not anything profound or otherwise, but, but maybe giving in its most authentic way, I have to disconnect it from the need. Um, I have to give unconditionally, without strings, without knowing, and at some level caring what happens to it. Is it when I release it, it is that kind of authentic or, or basic level of, 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 of surrendering it without a connection to where it's going to go, what good it's going to do, which missionary it's going to help, or those kind of things. Not that any of those are bad things. But for me, for my perspective shift, I have to disconnect my release of those material things from the good it's going to do and the person who's going to use it. <coughs> and to some extent, I think that is part of what this passage helps us understand. Just a couple of other passages that kind of emphasize that. Um, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Um, it also emphasizes this core value of, of how we relate to our things. 19 through 21, again, these are all familiar passages that we've all looked at. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven for where neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves do not break in and steal. And then this is the kind of the, the, the meat, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. Um, that's um, a very indicting phrase for me to say that where, you, where my treasure is, in terms of identifying where that is, is where my heart is. <clears throat> Let me give you the last kind of uh, perspective shift, if I could, uh, without, and, and that's, Again, for going back to this idea of the word giving implying ownership um, and the word giving implying that I am doing something, you know, big and uh, worthwhile and meaningful. And this is the one that I, I can't really get there, but it's kind of the objective is if I could shift that question or instead of asking kind of on a regular basis, how much am I going to give? Um, how much should I give? If I, if I shift that question and ask that question, instead of a, how much am I going to give, I ask myself, how much am I going to keep? You know, if it's really not mine, and if it's kind of disconnect from the, from the cause, and all I have is God, how much of what I've been given am I going to keep? Um, and I don't like to spend very much time there because it's a very, uh, um, it's hard. That's a hard concept to look at all that I have and say, okay, how much of what, I've been given, am I going to keep? Because um, my tendency, and going back to this description of my relationship to my 
stuff, my tendency is that, you know, if I drew it out on a little stick diagram, I got my money over here and I got God over here and, and I'm kind of like this and, you know, I'm going to parcel some of it out. I'm going to take some of it and put it over here. As opposed to kind of the switch, you know, God here, my stuff here, and I'm here, how much am I going to keep of this? Um, you know, that doesn't give you a dollar, doesn't give you an amount. <clears throat> this is another area where I may be stepping on um, doctrinal toes, but you know, the New Testament doesn't talk very much about tithing. Uh, in fact, the couple of times that Jesus mentioned it was to chastise the Pharisees for being legalistic. Um, and the teachings that I grew up about tithing kind of emphasized some of these attitudes that have been an obstacle for me in terms of giving because it creates this legalistic formula. I don't have to think about it if that's the approach I take. It's, it's just a little math problem. And this is God's, and the rest is mine. And I'm not sure that's what the New Testament teaches. Not that it eliminates tithing. Unfortunately, most of the New Testament teachings take Old Testament standards and um, elevate them much higher. Uh, and so we don't have a number. We don't have a formula anymore. It's just that, for me, that idea of tithing was, to some extent, a limiting. It was kind of my pass, that I didn't have to think about all this other stuff. Um, and I, re I read a little blog, this content uh, wasn't all that great, but the title was, Why I Quit Tithing and You Should Too. And it dealt with this idea that it was a limiting, legalistic approach, as opposed to this idea that Jesus demonstrates for us in this exchange with with this young ruler that he asked him not to tithe, not to give 10%, but to give it all. <coughs> to give all of his possessions and to turn them loose. Um, you know, I sometimes wonder, I don't know that this really fits right here, but in reading that passage, I've wondered um, what would have happened if this young man had said, when Jesus said, he asked him, what else do I need to do? He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If he'd have said, okay, I'll do it. I sometimes think it might have ended kind of like the Abraham Isaac story. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac and he said, okay, and God said, you don't have to. I don't know what would have happened and that's not really important, but I sometimes wonder that, and the point of that is that, again, the things are not what's important in this story. It is his attitude about his things. This young man's obsession with his things, his unwillingness to give them up, his unwillingness to surrender them at Jesus' instruction. And so the teaching would have been the same had Jesus said, okay, you don't have to. Um, the, 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 the teaching or the result would have been the same. <clears throat> in looking at where this takes us, and that what God wants for us out of this, you know, it kind of circles back to that idea um, is that our giving of our things is not to benefit God. It is to benefit us. And for me, that may be such old news for you, but at some point in my life, that was a revelation to me. It was a, it was a true revelation to me because I grew up with this motivation of giving of 
And this is kind of a progression that I think, for me, has helped get me closer to what I think the Bible teaches. It was kind of that first motivation was guilt, is that we kind of feel guilty. And maybe the next level of obligation was duty, or kind of an obligation. That's the, that, that's the second thing that would kind of motivate. Maybe it's a little better than guilt. Uh, maybe it's a step up. And then the third one, which is good, was obedience. I mean, that's, that's a, I'd kind of, for me at least, was another step closer. Um, but there are so many scriptures that teach us that really the, the, the level that we're seeking is that what motivates us is a core gratitude joy. That at a, at a real fundamental level, and I heard that, you know, I, I'm not sure this is scriptural, but I've heard that God loves a cheer, I heard that verse, God loves a cheerful giver. And that idea of a cheerful giver was really a foreign concept for me. And it was kind of an unattainable thing. Um, but this idea of giving because, not because God needs it, but because I need to do it, and what it does for me um, is what I think that the, the scriptures help us get a better, better understanding of. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, kind of a, uh, a picture of that, that um, seems a bit unattainable, but, but it's still a, a great picture. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. <clears throat> and this is writing about a church um, and, and their response. And it says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And then this, this next phrase is the one that just kind of jumped out at me, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. But that phrase of <laughs> begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part, um, you know, historically that has been a that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. Begging earnestly for the privilege of taking part in supporting, providing, giving. Um, that's the picture that I think this passage and many passages in the New Testament, and Jesus' attitude about giving teaches us that our perspective shift on what we have materially, the possessions, there's so many other verses that talk about um, the, the difficulties that our obsession or, or with our possessions causes for us. And so the, 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 the thought I want to leave you with is those perspective shifts. Um, it's not mine. It's really, really not mine. God doesn't need it, but I really need to give it. And to shift away from this, how much am I going to turn loose? As opposed to how much of what God has given me am I going to keep? So pray with me. Thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for this word and these passages and this picture that uh, is painted for us of, of, of how you view 
um, us and how you view our things and how you value um, us and our um, willingness to surrender without reservation all that we have um, to you, that, that that is what you want for us, not from us, but for us. Um, and we thank you for revealing that to us and showing it to us. Give us um, an ability to understand how that works in each of our lives. Um, give us an awareness and, and a reality that you are the source of all good things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.